Our scripture lessons today are uh, two brief readings from different places in the Old Testament. Um, each reading, I would invite you to listen for uh, the role of the leaf or the leaves that are described in each reading. The first is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, starting at verse 36a. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall, though no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand against your enemies. And then from the opening verses of Psalm 1, the first psalm in, in the Psalter. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather in this holy space under your word that is holy for us, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts that those words elicit will be acceptable in thy sight and will as well be healing and wise for us as we seek to serve you in this world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Though I grew up around them in childhood, I have had a fear of horses for most of my life. I have only marginally overcome that fear by forcing myself to ride the tamest horse available when I have to about once every 20 years. I also have a fear of heights, which doesn't strike me as long as I do not venture up trees or ladders or onto rooftops or balconies, open balconies, neither of which I do. I control my fears by not putting myself in position to experience them. Yet as I write these words on Friday night at my dining room table, I'm aware of much deeper and threatening fears than those of horses and heights. The Paris bombing has just occurred, leading me, among other things, to email a couple in our congregation who are celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary there, an email for which I received a response a few hours later confirming that they are all right. In addition to my awareness of legitimate reasons for global fear, 
My mind has grown with increased understanding and my heart has grown with deeper heaviness from conversations and experiences I have had in the wake of our recent adult education series on mental illness. These experiences have brought home to me as a pastor and as a human being that many people in and around our congregation live with near crippling anxiety, depression, or a wide variety of other mental illness, or with near unshakable and unslakable addiction. Following the international headlines, while drawing near as well to all that we face in our personal and family lives, I am aware that as much as we want to believe the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, we do have legitimate things to fear. A couple of weeks ago, independent of one another, two members of the church called to my attention an essay by the novelist Marilyn Robinson with a one-word title, Fear. Contemporary America, Robinson writes, is full of fear. Now, undoubtedly, Marilyn Robinson was pinning these words from her study near the campus of the University of Iowa, where she has taught for 30 years. And she is writing them in the midst of a presidential campaign that always begins in that state, but has long since gone national. She adds, it is, it is a very costly indulgence to fear indiscriminately, to try to stimulate it in others just for the excitement of it. To do, to do so, she says, channels anxiety and loneliness and prejudice and resentment channeling these into an emotion that can seem like courage or patriotism, but which in reality operates as an appetite or an addiction, leading us to feel that we can never be safe. In addition to teaching creative writing, Robinson also teaches courses in John Calvin and in the Old Testament. In the course of describing the fearfulness that she sees pervading our culture, she draws on an obscure image from the book of Leviticus involving a leaf. Now, I have read and taught the Bible for many years. I did not notice this passage or this image until I read her essay. I'll give $20 to anybody here who noticed it prior to today or prior to reading her essay. But here's what she pointed out from Leviticus. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees the sword, and they shall fall though no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, 
though no one pursues. While again quoting Leviticus, Robinson acknowledges that there are times in which, quote, we have no power to stand against our enemies. What she points to in this sacred text is a scene that would be comical if it were not sad. Troops fleeing in fear at the sound of winds blowing through one leaf, blowing it off the tree and then across the pavement. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. Now contrast this image of the leaf in Leviticus with that of the leaf that is found in the better known first psalm. The psalm begins with praise to the righteous person. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of the scoffers or the cynical. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law do they meditate day and night. Having blessed those faithful Jews whose focus is on Torah, the way and will of God, the psalmist then invokes this image of the leaf to praise them. They, these faithful ones, are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season. And their leaves, their leaves do not wither. In Leviticus, the leaf blows ever so slightly, and those who are addicted to fear flee. In Psalm 1, the leaf symbolizes a faith that is able to stand its ground in the face of fear, real or imagined. Now, as I indicated, in addition to being a first-rate novelist who teaches at a secular university, From time, Marilyn Robinson is also a very committed lay Christian, much like us. From time to time, she even substitutes as the guest preacher on the small congregational church that sits on the university campus where she teaches. Though she does not speak of Psalm 1 in her essay, she does speak of a focus on the way and will of God a focus that leads her and many others like her to give to the winds our fears. Fear is not a Christian habit of mind, she writes. From where does such faith come? How do we receive it or acquire it? How do we possess it? Partially, such faith comes from the texts in our tradition. From the earliest days, Robinson reminds us, we have learned, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If we went to advanced Sunday school as a child, we learned, lo, I am with you always, always even to the close of the age. And we were taught that Christ was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. These texts, these texts. In other words, such fear-free faith comes from the Scriptures, particularly those that promise the presence of God always, always, no matter what is happening. After this sermon, we will stand and sing, Give to the winds thy fears. Hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. But beyond faith providing us with a strong sense of God's presence, and therefore relief from fear, Robinson makes an additional claim about the benefits of faith in the face of fearfulness. Fearfulness, she writes, obscures the distinction between real threat on the one hand and the tendency to see threat everywhere. While Robinson does not claim that focusing on God's will alone will help us make this important distinction, She does imply that as we are able to remove irrational fear, the kind of fear that leads us to flee from the leaf when it's blowing on the tree, we can help clear the mind in such a way that we can determine and assess the real dangers that that are present and then face them with wisdom and courage and collaboration with others. This clear-eyed capacity to sort out what is a fear based in reality and what is in fact a product of our imagination is very important and a strong faith can help us with that discernment. Listening to the stories that have grown out of the mental illness series we sponsored and listening to some of you over the years that I have known you, I have come to know that anxiety, fear, is a malady that besets many people. What I as an amateur understand about anxiety is that in certain forms, the brain circuitry is so compromised that those who are acutely beset by this disease sometimes cannot tell the difference between what is real and what is not. Yet when the person is able to reach a certain degree of stability, the treatment of anxiety often involves slowly allowing ourselves to be exposed to our fear. Bit by bit, stepping ever so gingerly but deeply into them. Stopping to look both ways. And then when it's safe, taking another step. I can only imagine 
how hard this is for those who are debilitated by fear. I grow anxious whenever I'm going on a vacation and I know I might be expected to ride a horse. But in the end, I have survived the few rides I have taken, all three of them over the last 40 years, and they've been quite uneventful. Under God, I try to give to the winds my fears, and it seems to work. One person involved in our recent series wrote and has allowed me to share the following. Faith in God, faith in something greater and beyond my own fear and desolation kept me in my darkest depth of bipolar depression, hanging on to a thread of hope that ultimately helped me put one foot in front of the other to face the fear of stigma, the self-doubt, and the lost hope for living. May this be the faith that we and those we love who struggle with mental illness and addiction are able to receive or acquire. Most of all, simply have. I believe this same giving to the winds our fears needs to occur in our political culture today. I am as dismayed as anyone in this sanctuary about the tone our national politics has taken at the highest levels of those seeking the presidency, which we see day in and day out, but perhaps even more importantly, at the local level, in school boards, in city and county councils, in state legislatures, with the exception of a brief moment of unity surrounding 9-11, which is now 14 years ago, we are very close to losing the ability to focus on what we need to fear as a nation rather than what is politically expedient or personally cathartic to fear. By no means is everyone in this country Jewish or Christian, and by no means should they be. Thus, we do not all share the books of Leviticus and Psalms. And here we don't know Leviticus. <laughs> Out of which these images of belief emerge. But as residents and citizens of this country, the implicit call that lies behind these scriptures in these two books, this call to all of us, regardless of our faith or no faith at all, is to come together, to focus and to discern what within our national fear is based in reality and is worthy of our united attention and what is the product of our collective imagination, sometimes, sometimes of the darker and more venal sort. It isn't our national anthem, but what we will sing could be on God the Lord rely and safe shalt thou go on fix 
on God's work, thy steadfast eye, so shall thy work be done. Amen.